lost a loved one recently? Do you find it hard to move on with your life? There are lots of questions and a quest for a solution. Where do you start? Welcome to From Morning to Morning with your host, Rabbi Mel Glazer. Rabbi Mel and his guests are here to guide you through the different stages of grief and help you heal from your loss. You'll come away with a much better understanding of how you can move forward. Now, here's Rabbi Mel. Hello, everybody. This is your favorite rabbi, Rabbi Mel. I'm back. It's good to be together again. And I have a special guest this evening. And before I read about him to you, you ever wake up in the morning and think of an idea that's out of the box and it's so out of the box that you want to do it, you want to create it, you want to make it, you want other people to love it. So it happens to me periodically, not every day, but so my guest did that. He, um, his name is Glenn Lord. I'm going to read you about him in a minute, but he woke up one day and he said, I know what to do about grief. We're going to do something different that's not been done before. So first I'll read his bio to you so you'll know who you're listening to. And then uh, he and I will talk. Glenn Lord, dad of Noah Thomas Emery Lord, 125-1995 through 614-1999. That's only four years. Glenn Lord's life was forever changed after the death of his son Noah over 15 years ago. He has since learned that joy and sorrow can and do it coexist and life can be good again. Early on, Glenn found that the tools to finding hope again are different for each person. This realization inspired him to co-found the Grief Toolbox, which you can find at thegrieftoolbox.com. How strange. Mm, who would have thought, Glenn? A community of a community of Greece resources. In addition, he is the executive director of Walking Through Grief. You'll never guess what the what the URL is. It's www.walkingthroughgrief.com. A grief support video series, and he serves as president on the board of directors of the Compassionate Friends and vice president of the National Grief and Hope Coalition. Glenn has presented and spoken on multiple grief topics at dozens of chapters, regional and national conferences, including the Compassionate Friends, Funeral Directors, Hospice, the Tony Brown Foundation, and Bereaved Partners of the USA. So Glenn is here tonight uh, to talk to us about something that began last year, the first one. He's got a bereavement cruise. It's called A Journey of Hope, Healing and Health Bereavement Cruise. And now you've got a lot of time to think about this. It's not until next February 12th through 17, 2018. But 
Glenn's going to talk about last year's uh, bereavement cruise. He's going to talk about how he came up with the idea. And he's going to entice you to join him and hopefully me too on this cruise to talk about grief and hopefully to lead you to healing. So Glenn, welcome. It's good to have you tonight. It is excellent to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I'm pleased to have you. Um, I find all these weird guests to come on my show with me. You fit right in. Actually, that's a compliment because what you're doing with your partner, Linda Finley, I think is a wonderful idea. I have thought about it, but I never did anything about it. You thought about it and you created it. So why don't you begin, Glenn, by telling our listeners something about the origins and what this is and... You just start talking, and I'll... All right, I'll absolutely, just... absolutely. I, I, you know, there's, there's just... You know, when we talk about the grief cruise and, and looking at it, and you ask, you know, kind of the origins of where it came come from, you know, we have to ask ourselves, you know, in grief, what are some of the biggest things that we're looking for? Well, well validation is, is something we're all looking for. Um, I think we're also looking for a community to, to kind of hang out with and fit in where we, we don't feel like we're out of place. And I think on some level, we're kind of looking to escape our, our day-to-day worlds. Um, reality is, is you're going to take grief with you no matter where you go, but you can escape that kind of needing to go to work, needing to take care of your house, uh, needing to, to deal with all of the realities of life. And so the concept came about is how, how do you find a place? How do you, where can you go where you can get validation, you can have a community, and you can escape all at the same time? And lo and behold, a cruise is a perfect environment for that. Um, you know, it, anybody who's been on a cruise knows that it's a, it, is, it is an absolute environment where there's, there's, it has very little to do with most people's real world uh, you know, I guess there are people who live and work on the boats, but for the other 99% of us, the cruise life has very little to do with our real world. Yet at the same time, it's a great place to have that opportunity to uh, be together and learn some things about grief. Uh, you have the opportunity to both um, be at sea and see things, but you also can break off into, you know, there's, there's times when you're at sea when, yes, you can sit there and you can soak up the sun all day long, but... Um, you know, for me in my life, I, I like that for a little bit, but I'm just as interested in spending time doing other things. So we, what we've done is we've set it up so you have the opportunity to visit some wonderful uh, locations and go off the boat and have plenty of free time to do that. But at the same time, we set up a community where we help you learn and understand different aspects of uh, the grief and the grief journey. And most importantly, we set up environments where you can have that sense of community, where you can sit together with other people that are grieving. And it's just amazing. Um, you know, how many times in life do you automatically not need an icebreaker? You can sit down with someone you've never met before, you don't know a single thing about, and you don't need to come up with an icebreaker. The reality is when you're hanging out with other people who are grieving, you already have that icebreaker. You both have lost someone you love. You both care about them immensely, and that is the icebreaker. And you can go from zero to 60 in forming relationships, and it's a great place for that community to be there. And that was really the 
impetus of how do we do that. And as you said, we, we did our first cruise last year, and it turned out to be just wonderful. It met every single one of those requirements. We were able to do a, a wonderful um, memory walk on the, on the boat where we were able to have uh, not real candles, but, you know, the, the light-up kind of um, pseudo-candles, and we were able to do a walk around the boat in memory, memory of all of our loved ones. We were actually able to do a burial at sea for one of the individuals uh, brought their, their, their cremates of their loved one, and uh, we were able to help facilitate a burial at sea for that individual. Um, there was some wonderful, both of the community got together. We had some, some singing, um, some laughing, and some great uh, grief information. And I've talked to some of these people that went on the cruise, and they have formed some of the, the best friendships of their lives, the people they didn't even know before they went on the cruise. Any marriages come from the cruise yet? <laughs> not yet. We should add that as an additional mm-hmm. activity. But Let's get so serious far, here. Not, not to my knowledge. But no, you're right, because you've got... Uh, you do have single individuals. You have individuals who have, you know, have have, you know, have lost a loved one, and, and that loss has placed them in a situation where they now are available to look for someone else if that is something that they're you know looking for. But no, we haven't had that happen as of this point. You know, that's the interesting um, piece of grief that, in a way, it frees you up to the next stage in your life. I always say to people, I'm doing a funeral for a friend uh, tomorrow morning, and I've been talking to his wife a lot. This guy had a stroke 30 years ago, and he's been going steadily down for 30 years, and uh, I go see him periodically, but he couldn't talk. He couldn't make the words come out because of the physical disabilities. Anyway... So I said to her yesterday, you know, his death has freed you. She said, what does that mean? I said, well, you get to ask the question once again, what do I want to be when I grow up? And you can do anything you want. Sometimes, as you know, that's scarier than dealing with death. That can be very scary. I mean, the, the, to do. Itself, the question of who am I now is right. a question that we, we um, are all forced to ask when, we, when, we, when we're faced with that grief event. And who are we now is an opportunity. Absolutely. You, can be, you have an opportunity to reinvent yourself. And that doesn't mean not, you know, I, I think sometimes people hear that and they feel like what we're saying is, you're going to move on, you know, from your loved one. And no, you reinvent yourself with that loved one. They, they will always be a part of you, and, they, and your, your souls will be intertwined forever. Um, but they, you know, that, that the reality is, is you do have an opportunity to reinvent yourself and see who and what you want to be and who and where you want to fit in the world at that point in time. When you talk about um, not having to have an icebreaker, My mind immediately goes, in our Jewish tradition, when someone dies, so we have a special uh, hymn of praise to God called a Kaddish, that when a parent dies, you say it for 11 months. When a non-parent dies, you say it for 30 days. And what happens is that you find yourself a synagogue, which has uh, either morning and or evening services, 
and you start to attend. And at the beginning, you don't want to be there. But it's like a secret club because most of the people who are there are there for the same reason you are. And like you said, you don't need an icebreaker. Everybody knows why everybody's there. They don't know the details maybe, but they find out soon enough and they begin to feel comfortable with with uh, others. And I know hundreds of people who have not stopped going after they no longer have to say the Kaddish prayer for their loved ones because they feel so at home together with this group. And as you said, it's a community. There's nothing more important than being part of a community. Absolutely. And, and it's a community that isn't, you know, one of the things we're fearful of is we're going to be judged and that we're going to, you know, share a thought that we have that those around us aren't going to be willing to accept or aren't going to be willing to hear. Or if they did know it, we're going to be afraid of what they're going to think of us. But when you're surrounded by other people who have also had that loss, um, it's amazing to, to realize that when you share with them your fears or your concerns or your, you know, new habits that maybe you've adjusted into your life and to realize that it's not so strange, it's not so weird, it's being shared by everyone in that room or many of the people in that room and um, to realize that, you know, just because our society may not talk about it all the time doesn't mean it isn't a reality of life. It doesn't mean that what we're doing isn't very normal and very healthy in almost all instances. You know, as long as you're not hurting yourself or others, you're, you're probably grieving healthily. And I think you're right. You have to get away. You have to be away from your, your life reality for a while so that you'll have time to think about all the things that we need to think about when a loved one dies. So I, and cruises are wonderful. I love cruises. Uh, I mean, you could get pizza at four o'clock in the morning. I love it. I mean, I just love to be on cruises. You have the choice of doing whatever you want. You want to get off and spend money, you get off and spend money. You don't, you don't. But there's certainly plenty of time for grievers to get together in sessions and privately and 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 open their hearts up. And you're right, they're not judged. Nobody calls them names. Nobody thinks they're strange. Uh, everybody's the same. I think it's a wonderful idea. Absolutely. And if people want to find out more about it, it's at the, uh, strangely enough, just like you pointed out the other URLs, it's at journeysofhopehealingandhealth.com. Okay, we'll, we'll repeat that at the end, uh, and, and I hope that our listeners will think hard about, about, about joining us. I had a, and people listen, last week I had a lady whose son died from some weird disease called Norse. He died at the age of 22. He just, he was walking around one day and all of a sudden he became paralyzed and he couldn't move. And uh, 10 days later, he died. So I got an email from somebody on LinkedIn. Go figure. And she said to me, I listened to the show last night. My son died three, or three weeks ago at the age of 22. 
and I listened to your guest, but I could only listen to half of it because I was in tears and I just couldn't deal with it. So I wrote my, I sent my guest a note and I said, call this lady because that's what it's all about. So grief, grief creates lots of stuff. I mean, it creates bad stuff, but it creates lots of good stuff like community, like not being judged, like not having to have icebreakers when you get together, like meeting other people that I guess it's like walking into an AA meeting. You know, you all know why you're there. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's a good, that's a good environment. And, uh, and then we're, you know, like I said, you you actually are going to be one of our speakers there, and we, you know, interverse this with the community, the opportunity for people to to learn and to hear from those people who have devoted their lives to uh, helping others through their grief journey and sharing some of those realities and even helping bring topics to people's forefront to to allow people to, uh, you know, maybe they're not the one that wants to open up that topic, but. You know, you may, in, in you know, when you're sharing, you may bring up something that allows other people to then say, hey, wait a second, that's me, and they don't have to be the one to first bring it up. Right. All I do as a grief therapist is invite people. If they don't want to accept my, I mean, there's two parts of this. I invite, they accept or reject. If they want to accept the invitation, like you said, then they will. And if they don't, maybe they will in two days. Who knows? People, people, you know, need time to think about it. We got to take a break a little bit. So we'll be back in a minute or two. So listeners, don't go anywhere. We got lots more to talk about. We'll be right back. what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. 
VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi, everybody. Rabbi Mel, I'm back with you. And uh, my guest is Glenn Lord, who, who does lots of things. Uh, but what we're talking about today is a bereavement cruise, a journey of hope, healing, and health bereavement cruise, which is going to take place next February, the 12th through the 17th, right in your calendar, because you know how you get booked up. And um, we're going to go cruising for five days, and we're going to talk about grief and healing. And so, uh, Glenn, I'll ask you again for our listeners, how many were on the cruise as teachers last year, and how many uh, grievers were there? There was a total of about 40 people last time, and we had about um, seven teachers, I think it was, last time. And this time we're hoping for about uh, 12 teachers. We've locked down eight of them, so we are still looking for a few people. Um, And we're hoping for about 80 people to attend this year. Great. So what's the format? Can you give us a general idea of what it looks like during these five days? Yeah, I could. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the, the, the basic concept is, is, as you say, we'd be leaving out of Tampa. And when we leave, we have um, an intermix of days at sea and days when we're in ports. So during the days at sea, we will be having, um, you know, some opening ceremonies, We'll be eating together, having a common meal where we'll be able to have an opportunity to intermix and share things. We'll have opportunities for some teaching sessions, some sharing sessions, a couple of ceremonies that we'll be doing during the days at sea. You'll also have some time to just, you know, be at sea too. And you don't have to attend everything. It's, it's all a matter of like, I like the way you put it. The invitation is there. If, you see, and, and someone who's speaking is interesting to you. You know, you can go listen to them. If they're not, you know, go spend some time on the on the at, on the boat. You know, enjoying the the amenities of the boat, and then come back for the next speaker if you want to. You know, see that so you can intermix that. And then on the days and when we're in port, we don't want to interfere with that. We want to have you an opportunity to do that. But we're the, the, the what we found happened is is that the groups then formed these groups, so there would be the source excursions and you know you'd have the more adventures and kind and the and less adventures and kind and, and people would kind of group up but what you, we found is is that we'd have you know five or six people all deciding that if they're adventuresome they're going to go the adventuresome uh, shore excursion or the or they're going to go do the quieter shore excursion if that's more who they are but you know whatever their personality is but they were forming these friendships and then when we go back to sea we will have more of the um kind of uh, learning and, and things of that nature. We have a day at Grand Cayman. We have a day at Cozumel. Uh, we have two days at sea. And so during the two days at sea is when we're going to be doing kind of the, 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 the teaching and the opportunity to um, form some of these relationships, but they'll really be expressed during the days when we're in Grand Cayman and we're in Cozumel. Nice. I'm going to tell you something that you don't know yet, but now you will. I've been to these places on other cruises, and you know when you get off, so you get off the 
you get off the, the ship and you go into where all the stores are and all the jewelry stores and the, as we call them, the tchotchkes, where you can get T-shirts and all that other garbage and whatever. But most, I would say, 90% of those stores are owned by Israelis, which means it's good to spend money. Israel likes when we spend money. It's interesting because um, most of the Israelis don't personally run their shops, but they own them and they hire people. And I, you know, as a Jew, am thrilled that the Israelis have taken over sort of the the tchotchke market when you get off the ship. Now, that's totally irrelevant to what we're talking about, but it's interesting, I think, anyway. Well, I think it's very interesting. I always like to learn, and that's something you're right, something I did not know. Okay, I have a question. I'm looking at the one-sheet intro uh, to the cruise, and at the bottom of the sheet it says... The bereavement cruise is a powerful transformational journey at sea, honoring and celebrating the lives of our lost loved ones. Well, I love that sentence because it sort of wraps everything up uh, together. Um, the phrase transformational journey, you know, it's, it's really interesting how Grievers get transformed. How I always talk about when you're a grief, when you're in grief, you're wandering, just like the Israelites of old. And you're wandering in two directions at the same time. You want to wander back to be with your loved one, even if they had cancer, even if they had dementia, even if they had Alzheimer's. You could feel them, you could touch them, you could you could talk to them. So you want to wander backward, and you know in your head that you ha also have to wander forward, because you know you have a new life. The phrase new normal is a phrase that you and I have heard way too many times, but that's true. So grief, I believe, is just like that. You're wandering in two directions at the same time, uh, and, and one day you wake up and you decide and God only knows how, you decide that it's time you want to wander forward more than you want to wander backward. Have you found that? I mean, have you experienced that? I mean, your your own son died. How did you how did you navigate through that journey yourself? Well, you know, I, I think it's very interesting that you, you pose that question to me at this moment in time because uh you know, my son died back in 1999, and he died of complications of a tonsillectomy. And um, it was his death and kind of the need to find resources and kind of creating that central sense of finding resources that led me to do the Grief Toolbox and uh, then ultimately led me to do the Walking Through Grief series that, you know, is run at bereavement um, through the military and through hospice, etc. But so, yes, through his journey... I very much found that in the beginning, I wanted nothing but to have him back alive again. I mean, I would have, you know, had these uh, conversations with God where I, you know, 
I was making trades. He wasn't on the trading mood, and we didn't have any. You know, he wasn't participating in the conversation to the degree that I was. But we, you know, I, I was pretty much willing to trade anything and everything to be able to have a world in which he was back alive again. And uh, you know, God knows better than I do, and uh, realized that 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 was not. You know, that, that despite my my interest and desire, that that was not the the path that I was to go down. And. Uh, you know, ultimately, I came to a recognition that um, you know the things that I gained and learned from that, I I came to incorporate into my life, and that's really become a very much a reality for me. And it's a reality that now, at the same time, uh, you know, I, I you know I don't know that you and I even had a chance to share this, but um, my sister and my father both died about six weeks ago, um, a week apart, and so I'm in that same basic journey. With both of them, where I am making those same trade-offs, and to be able to juxtapose my own life, where I can see with my son, I am I am very comfortable with the fact that he has died. I I, I have incorporated that into my life, and uh, his his life lives on through me, and I have reached a point where there is a a joy there that I have. Um, not to say that I don't miss him or anything of that nature, I don't, and I'm not meaning to imply that. But but I've I've incorporated that in where it's 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 much more the memories are positive, the desires are for how he's affecting and changing my life today still, even though he hasn't you know breathed in over 17 years, I, I still see how he affects and changes me, and how he's still my son, and I'm still his father, even though we're not physically here. But then to go through that same struggle with my sister and dad, so I would agree with you very much that that desire to walk in both, and we do get to a point where we generally walk in the now, and then every now and again, something comes at us from the blue that we just have no control over. Uh, You know, my son, again, he died uh, in 1999 at four and a half. Well, recently, uh, a young lady who was his same age graduated from high school and uh, invited my wife and, 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 and myself to her high school graduation. And that, you know, Knocked me back 15 years just because that that sense of love that she showed me meant the world. But it, it, it took me back to that point where I was, like you say, wanting to live in both places at once again. I like to say that grief creates uh, PTSD. And what you just said is a perfect example. Um, You know, your son, was supposed to be there at that graduation. And and obviously he wasn't, but he was there for you at that graduation. And I, I like to talk about when, uh, that we never forget them. We move past, we move on, we move, we lay them gently down and we we move on to to we can move on if we choose to and do the right things, but they're not. Uh, it's not perfect. So I always use the example: you could be in a supermarket. Let's say your husband or wife died five years ago, and you can be in a supermarket and you can be shopping for vegetables, and you come to the lettuce and tomato and and whatever aisle the vegetables. And instantly, your mind goes back to a party that you were with together with your loved one. And I know lots of people who started crying in the middle of the supermarket. 
which is perfectly normal and because their loved one is still there. Uh, they're just not there physically. So when your son died, uh, and to this day, he, he only died physically, but what made him him is still there with you. Absolutely. I like Absolutely. that. If I may ask, what happened to your sister and father? Well, my, my sister died of metastatic breast cancer, and um, it was my first real journey with cancer, but to really see how it just uh, literally eats a person alive, um, you know, and I, I witnessed her struggle all the way to the very end, and ultimately it, uh, it uh, took her life. And um, my father died uh, a week and a day later. Um, he died of a heart attack. And honestly, I just believe he couldn't. Um, he, his, his wife had died two years earlier, and he was just so lonely and in so much pain. And I think then the shock of my sister dying pushed him over the edge. Yeah, that, that'll happen, unfortunately. Yes. How old was your dad? Uh, 72, just about. He would have been 72 in June, so 71 and a half, I guess. So you're still young. Still a young, relatively young man, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, uh, the expectation was he had another 10, 20 years at least, so uh, yeah. not, 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 you know, not something that I, I was planning for or prepared for. Uh, you know, my sister, um, although she was only 38, there was... Uh, a feeling that, um, you know, she had been in a five-year struggle and it had progressed and, and, you know, she had gone from a healthy, happy, you know, woman that no one could have told was sick to someone who could no longer, you know, stand on her own and, and it just ate her alive. And so as much as um, it's unexpected for someone that age to die, it was a, there was a, a reality that we knew was coming. And you pre-mourned her for five years. Absolutely. We went, you know, went through that struggle. I don't know if for five years, because I think in the first two or three, there was a belief structure she was going to win. There really yeah. was. And it was probably in the last year, as things started getting worse and worse, and she had the, you know, the brain surgery, and then you know, the loss of being able to, to work, and all these other things that were happening. You know, that the morning really became very serious for the last 12 months, I would say. In, in our Jewish tradition, we have a period called Shiva, seven days after the death. And the family is supposed to be comforted by their friends, and you, you invite guests, and there's religious services and all that. Well, it doesn't happen so much, well, it does in the Orthodox community, but in the non-Orthodox community... It doesn't happen so much. People don't do it for six nights and seven days anymore because they've been grieving for years. I mean, this man that I'm burying tomorrow has been sick for 30 years. And so his wife and kids have been mourning his death for 30 years. And they knew even then that it was going to be a long, long, long struggle that he was not going to win. Uh, and so they are not going to have religious services. 
Because in a sense, they've had them for 30 years, you know? They've been through this. It is very, very different when someone dies from a a long-term illness than, uh, you know, Noah was healthy on a Friday and by Monday he was dead. And so, you know, there was was no, you know, it went from, you know, no expectation of him not being perfectly well to him dying instantly. And in my sister, that was not the case at all. And as you say, it's a very, very different journey. Yeah, it is. And there are advantages and disadvantages to each way of dying. I mean, they, the family that I'm burying him tomorrow got a chance to be with him at the end, and they were with him when he took his last breath, and they said goodbye, and I went in on Friday, and I read the final prayer and confession uh, with them and him. Uh, whether he understood or heard, I'm not sure, but maybe he did. But they did. And so they had a chance to say goodbye. You get hit by a bus, you don't have a chance to say goodbye. No, so, no. You know, hitting, getting hit by a bus is good for you, but not for your family. <laughs> I mean, not that's good a, for you. That's you know an, interesting I mean. pers- an interesting and accurate perspective. Yeah, I mean... I wish it weren't true, but if I'm going to die, okay, let it be quick. You know, let it just be quick because I, I don't want to suffer. Nobody wants to suffer. And um, so be it. All right, it's break time again. Time does go fast when you're having a good time. So, listeners, Glenn and I will be right back. You stick around. And we're coming right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You 
are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi, everybody. Rabbi Mel. I'm back with my guest and new friend, Glenn Lord. Glenn is, um, he takes care of a lot of people who are in grief in a lot of different ways. But tonight we're talking about a cruise that's happening next February that I want you to all think about signing up for. And um, it, it, it gives us a chance to do lots of things. First, hear people teach about grief that have something to say. Uh, more important than that, it creates a community of like-minded sailors, if I can say that, like-minded travelers. Uh, as Glenn said uh, in the last segment, um, you don't have to explain why you're there. You don't, because everybody knows why you're there. Because uh, somebody died, and and that's what brings you together. And then what happens is that you you find a friend or two or three and you and if there's a day you know when the cruise ship stops you you go off to Cozumel and you do whatever you do and you do it together you don't have to be alone anymore so I told Glenn that I had some other things I wanted to uh, talk to him about in our last segment one of those is theological so Glenn where is your son's soul now, or your sister, or your, or your I father's soul? I believe my son's soul is in heaven at this point in time. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means that he is with God, that he and God are are together and in a, in a place that God has created where there is no pain, there is no suffering, where any imperfection is gone, and that he gets to... Uh, be with God in a way that um, I can't even comprehend. Do they do stuff together? I mean, what happens up there? Oh, um, that's an interesting question. You know, I, I think that they 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 live, life, they live life in in a way that is uh, that you know that takes away that that God that you know. In my view, we have this separation from God right now. That 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 God has. Uh, allowed there to be where we 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 see him as through a veil. We're not really seeing him. We're not really. He's here. He's with us, but he's allowing this world to be rampaged with sin and with destruction and with uh, many pieces of the world that you know are just not. There's evil in this world, and that in in heaven he has removed that evil. He's removed that sin. He's removed that destruction. And when so that people are able to do things without the the influence of sin and evil, and so they're able to have fun and enjoyment and interactivity and interaction in a, in a place that does not have that all the 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 all of the problems caused by sin and evil. Interesting. Um. That's that's what I think everybody learns when we're growing up. That when we die, the good boys go to heaven and the bad boys go to hell. Since, um, and that's all right. I mean, 
That's what faith is. Faith is what I say, believing uh, even before you have all the facts in. We don't have any of the facts in because nobody's come back after 30 days to tell us what's going on. And um, nobody's tweeted from anywhere. I have a different. No, I, I, I did have a strong visitation dreams for my son early on, though. I, I had some very strong visitation dreams um, in the first year after he died. And, uh, you know, when he came to visit me, he was not a four year old and he was not suffering from any of the, uh, you know, realities of his last weekend. He was, uh, you know, a young 20 something who had. Uh, you know, had, in the prime of life, with all of his strength, all of his um, tact, and all, of, but the but the wisdom of someone much older than he, and I fully recognized him as my son. Yet I fully understood that he was he was had been transformed and changed. And we had um, we had some conversations, and you know, in that in that what I see as more than a dream, because I do see it as a visitation. You know, he let me know that he was okay. Um, and we had uh, a, a second dream where he ultimately told me he was no longer going to be visiting me again, but that uh, I would be having two other children, and subsequently I did have two other sons. And that, um, you know, so to me that, uh, you know, I, I would agree that no one has come back and said to us, you know, in a way that uh, is universal. But for me, I felt like I personally was validated that, that, that of, of his journey, through that, and I, you know, I've, I've met other people who have been validated through their own, their own pieces and their own journey, and I've personally seen a lot of people um, as they approach death, uh, being able to see through that veil. I mean, I would give you an example of my my sister. We just talked about. Um, she went into hospice on there was the Wednesday, and she was going into hospice on the Thursday, and she and her husband were having a conversation, and she said to him, "Well." I get to come home on Saturday. And he said, no, no, honey, we're going to the hospice on, on Thursday and, and you're, you're never coming home again. And he, she just looked at him and smiled and said, no, I'm going home on Saturday. And she died on Saturday. Well, and to me, I think she knew she was going to die on Saturday. Not on a conscious level, the way that, you know, you and I know what we're going to, you know, eat for dinner later tonight or something like that. But on an inward soul level, I do think people have that, as they start to get closer there, break through that barrier. So the veil, the veil starts to disappear, right? As death approaches. I, I think so. And, and again, I, I have many other examples from my own life, but I, from what I've seen and what I witnessed, I, I would say for me, that's, that's been my reality. Right. I, I don't know a lot of um, parents who have stories or have been visited as you have, but I'm sure that my listeners, you know, could write volumes about it because I read a lot about it and know that it, it's, it's a phenomenon. I mean, it's never happened to me. The closest thing that, that uh, about visitation is uh, when, sometimes when I'm at religious services, I feel like I, I need to uh, communicate with my family. I had 11, my mother was the youngest of 12 children. So, I mean, I don't even know half my cousins. There are so many of them. 
And so I will close my eyes and I will vision in my mind's eye all 12 of the siblings, including my parents and my grandparents and my best friend who died in a plane crash many years ago. And I will vision them and I will say to them, I love you, I miss you, and I'm doing well. And it only lasts, you know, each one lasts for like, you know, 30 seconds. It doesn't take a long time, but I am heartened every time it happens because I feel like I still have this relationship with them as you do with those members of your family who have died. I believe you do, and I believe they heard you when you said that. I, I believe that they are, they're, you know, that like you say, that they are, um, they are with us one way or the other as far as that piece goes. You know, what scares me is that my parents are still looking down at me. That's, <laughs> that's the only thing that scares me. But there's nothing they can do about it. <laughs> so, too bad. Um, is there a difference for you between the death of a son and the death of a sister and father? Uh, It's a little hard to answer that question because right now I'm so caught up in um, even trying to understand what it means that my sister and dad died. So, um, you know, I I guess I would say, you know, my mother who died about... uh, a little over two and a half years ago, uh, I have a little bit more distance of and can better answer the question, and I think they apply, is I think the death of every individual is very different. I think each individual, no matter what role they played in our lives, um, it's about, you know, the reason we grieve is because we love. You know, when someone dies that we don't love, it, we don't grieve for them. I mean, it might be a passing moment of, wow, isn't that sad or, you know, whatever, but we're grieving for those individuals that we love. And the love is different. You know, the love that, you know, my mother and I shared is different than the love that my son and I shared or different than my, my sister and I or different than my dad and I. And even with my son, you know, the love that I shared with him is different than the love that my wife shared with him. So I think that, that by the very nature of that, every single journey is is different in and of itself. Um, and each one has its own um, unique realities to it that I think are all tied into that uh, relationship and love that we had with them and that we're now transposing from a interactive love that you know exists where uh, we are clearly understand it to a love that now is is transcendent of that uh, is in, and, uh, and and as you talk about you know they're still able to visualize them and share that with them. Um, and that's a form of love that you're sharing with them. And, you know, but that takes time to understand how to incorporate each one of them into your life in that new way that uh, is not the same as when you can all sit down and have a meal together. You and I have read, um, just leading from that, you and I have read many times that the death of a child is the worst death that can happen to somebody. Do you believe that? You know, I did believe that before I did the Walking Through Grief series. And in the Walking Through Grief series, 
we filmed a variety of different individuals and we put it all together to form this, you know, healing program that's used by hospices, et cetera. And in that program, there was a gentleman who had been married, I want to say, I think it was 57 years. And he was talking about the loss of his wife. And he described it this way. He said, you know, we were two trees that were planted in the same hole. And we grew together and we intertwined. And we were still two separate trees, yet we were, we were one because we had wrapped ourselves around each other. And when you looked at us from a distance, it was difficult to tell which branch belonged to which tree. And he said, I'm still that twisted tree, but the other half of me is gone. Mm. And when I think about that, it's very difficult to state that any one grief is, is more difficult than another. I think it's each we share to, the, to our own degree what is our greatest grief. Depending, depending on the relationship that we had with that person. Exactly. I always say that the death of a loved one is hard. The death of a less than loved one is even harder because you've got to deal with the death of the relationship first. And then you got to deal with the death of the person. I mean, take a divorced, you know, couple. When the ex dies, you're messed up. I mean, you're just plain messed up because you think again about the relationship and what happened in the relationship and the loss of that love. And then you have to deal with the death of the person to whom you were married or had a close relationship. It's a mess. I mean, death Absolutely. is a mess. And the death of your future is gone because there, there is yep. no, when, when, when death occurs, there is nothing else. And, and you know, in the, in the relationship of a divorce, um, you know, you're, you're never going to become better friends. You're never going to work something out. You're nev- they're never going to say that one thing to you that may have made whatever was okay. You're never going to have an opportunity to say anything else to them. You're never going to work anything else out. That's all gone. So there's so many complexities, um, you know, in, in all grief journeys that are intertwined. But I think you're correct. That, that, and I think that's uh, a grief that is often not accepted because people feel like, well, you already divorced them. Why would you yeah. mourn them? But the fact is, is you, you love them at one point in time. You, you, you love them enough to devote your entire life to them. And whatever, life took turns, and you made choices, and they made choices, and it wasn't the right thing to stay together. But that doesn't mean there wasn't a moment when your souls were were together as one. I think that's a good place to finish off, because unfortunately, my friend, we are out of time. And I want to thank you for coming on and being my guest and teaching me and all my listeners about what you do and... um, If somebody wants to find more info about the cruise, give them the website again. It's journeysofhopehealingandhealth.com. Okay. So go take a look, people. You know, go take a look. If you want to get a hold of me, I'm at Rabbi Mel at griefok.com. I'll see you next week. Be good to everybody. And God loves you. And... God wants you to be at peace. See you next week. Bye-bye. 
Thank you again for joining Rabbi Mel Glazer for From Morning to Morning. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're wishing you strength and hope in the next week.